Hello everyone and welcome back to Croquis or Life Drawing in English, Figure Drawing, Life Drawing. They're all synonym, synonyms of each other. Um, that's what happens when you try to use big words, you stutter a bit, so excuse me. Um, this is your class for Wednesday, which is then re-aired on Friday for this week. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Brandon Show, or as always so far, I'm your host, Brandon Show. Um, and welcome. So you're listening to Epson Radio. Of course, if you don't already know, um, just a quick uh, house cleaning, I guess. If you guys have an idea for a show or want to be in touch with us, you're more than welcome. You can reach us at uh, radio at epsilon.cph.dk, or you can leave us a voicemail. The voicemail works. The number is 5023-8602, plus 45 is the country co code, uh, excuse me, the country code. We are in Denmark. Um, yeah, so this is life drawing class. We are jumping around a bit. Um, as you who have been here before already know, we try to take the first 10 minutes of the class to so that you guys, uh, the listeners, can acclimate yourself to the course, um, get your model ready. Get your model ready, excuse me, um, and get yourself ready to draw. Um, last week, we focused on uh, drawing around the model. What were the things around the model? Um, what were the things in our home that we thought were important or we loved or we were indifferent about? Just uh, taking a second to um, interpret them, uh, process them along, uh, and what is their relation to the model? Um, if you, for whatever reason, missed that episode, I think it's in the archive. If it's not in the archive right now, it will be. Um, it's episode three or volume three. Um, I've done a couple now, so I'm losing track of which one covered what. But yeah, so this week, um, we are going to, uh, I found another book in my own personal library that covers art history. And it has a lot of good information of how to put words on what you see. And uh, obviously, I'm on the radio, so I only have my words right now. But you guys have your pencils and papers and paint and uh, whatever other material. Uh, another one won't come to mind right now. Um, and you can use my words to help you um, maybe get uh, a physical representation of the model you're using um, or of yourself if the model is you. For those who are new to the class or need a reminder, uh, we use the first 10 minutes to set up, as I said before. Um, there are certain things you want to have for your model, um, probably some tea. Um, tea over water because it is cold when you're nude so you want to have something to keep them warm or a way to keep them warm either place them by the heater or uh, next to some blankets or have some blankets ready when we take breaks during the class we take um, we take the first part of the class 
and um, the first weeks we did 10 times one minute drawings for 10 minutes and last week we did five times two minute drawings so I think I'm gonna go with last week again um, we're gonna do we're gonna start the course um, with five times two minute drawings then we're gonna take a small break um, and we're going to go into four times five minute drawings a small break and then we're going to go into two times 10 minute drawings or one long 20 minute pose. That's typically how it also would be set up um, if you were to attend a class here at Epsilon or um, your typical postgraduate, or not postgraduate, but uh, outside of college life drawing meetup. Um, they vary, some are a bit longer, um, some some sessions or some sitting positions are a bit longer but this is typical this is kind of beginner um we accomplish what we can in that time of course you are just listening on the radio and you have the model there with you and you are the model so if you need to go longer in anything um just do it um as far as music we don't play any music on this play program um Music is a personal thing, um, and I think it's a good idea that in this time, you can play your music as as you wish, um, either behind my voice, a bit lower, on a different apparatus than your, what you're listening to the Epsilon channel on. So if what I mean by that is if you have a playlist in Spotify uh, and you're listening to me on the computer in the browser, open up Spotify in a different application, uh, a different window, excuse me, turn the volume down a bit, lower than my voice, vice versa. The only way this is not an option is if you're listening to both me and Spotify or iTunes on the phone. You can't play through both, can't play both at the same time. So you will need some other type of music. And for those of you that don't need um, music to draw, um, it works out perfectly because there won't be any. Um, um, so far, I haven't really come up with a way to indicate um, audibly uh, when the next pose is. I've just been saying it out loud. We do have a new soundboard here at the studio, which is finally hooked up and ready to go. Um, I wanted to use it, but the pre-programmed sounds are a bit too cliche. Um, so until I get a better sound, I'm not going to use that. Um, what you want to be doing right now is setting up your model. So get them ready, get them acclimated to the heat in the room. If you can keep them off the floor, um, think about where they should stand in the room. Think about where you should sit in the room and, uh, don't forget your light source. Your light source is very, very important. Shadows are very, very important in figure drawing extremely important they create drama they give you shades they give you contrast they give you nuance and take it from me the human hand when drawing needs nuance it needs some perspective um so so keeping that in mind of course um don't shine the light directly in the model's face and don't put the light 
in the room in a way that it shines directly into your face. Okay, so we're going to start the class here in two minutes with five times two minute poses. And I have my keys here. So I think I'm going to try to uh, use this sound. Hopefully it's not too annoying as the indication to switch. I also will say it out loud um, to switch positions. Just as an extra indicator, if you kind of fade off uh, with my melodic, slow voice, um, <laughs> um, maybe this will give you a little nudge to like, oh, now I need to move. Um, for the model, if you haven't modeled for us before on croquis uh, drawing from home or life drawing from home, there are two poses that we avoid uh, during this class. One is the Superman pose which is where you stand with your feet essentially shoulder width apart. You, excuse me, look towards the sky and you are symmetrical. It's not a very interesting pose to draw. It's not very challenging. So we try to avoid that one. We also try to avoid mirror posing and mirror posing is when you give me the same exact position in the opposite direction. So if you are standing example I always use I'll try to switch it up for those who have been with us for a while so if you stand and you put uh, your hand behind your head your left hand and your weight is on your left excuse me your right leg then when we say switch don't uh, don't move your hand to your right don't use your right hand and then lean on your right leg it doesn't really help the uh, illustrator or the drawer or the um, person uh, painting. Okay, so we got 10 seconds here. I hope you guys had enough time to set up. Um, and here we go. This is going to be the first of two minute poses. So two minutes. And just a friendly reminder um, or new information again for those who haven't joined today till date. The first poses are stretching. So it's a stretch for the model, it's a stretch for the drawer. All right, so if you're the drawer or the illustrator, find the edges of your page, find the composition, get used to the scale of the room, get used to the scale of the model on the piece of paper or on the canvas. And if you're the model and you have this crazy idea that you've been thinking about doing um, or pose that you think you can hold, a bow pose from yoga or... I don't know. I always use yoga. That's what comes to mind first. Um, whatever it is, do it now because you need to see the limitations. And it's uh, if you haven't done it before, it's a bit more. Uh, it's not as intuitive as you think. Uh, you don't realize that you don't sit still as a human until you have to sit still. I know for a fact that I don't sit still. I I um I rock and back and forth. I've always done it since I was a kid. It's it's become less and less, but I could. I, I would be a horrible life model um, when I'm not rocking back and forth. Uh, usually my leg is jumping up and down. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be good at it. So I can't be too hard on you guys. Excuse me, I got, uh, I should have drank some water before I started. Okay, so we're coming to the end of the first pose um, here in about 15 seconds. Um, so model take registration of how you feel where you are same thing with the illustrator okay 
and please move into your next pose. You guys can, of course, also ignore um, what I'm saying. Uh, that is probably the biggest benefit of drawing from home or doing this from home is that uh, if we were in the class and we were all together, the, we'd probably be more in tune to do it. You couldn't passively listen to it, probably how some of you are at this moment. But if, you were act if you're actively doing it, you wouldn't be able to dictate um, what the model does and how long the model should stay in position or how long you should spend on one area of the room and so on. Um, obviously the purpose of this is we invite you to listen passively um, or be active. The point of this uh, radio is to meet everybody where they are, especially during these times. That's uh, what the reason we started it. Uh, that was the reason it was approved um, by everybody, uh, the higher ups here at, at uh, Epsilon, the church. Um, we think of ourselves more as a community space than a cafe or a restaurant or a place where you come to eat dinner. The, those are just tools that we use to bring the community together. The, the mission is to get people socially active. Um, and as the pandemic got harder and harder, it became harder and harder for us um, to facilitate that mission. Um, we came up with the radio as a way to uh, obviously not replace um, human content, but supplement in some way until we can get back in the same room again. Um, so this is the end of the second two minute pose. So you can go ahead and switch model. Um, where was I? The funny thing about this is, <clears throat> especially during these early poses, is I finally get a train of thought, and then I realize that I need to cut myself off to remind you guys to switch positions or to stretch. Um, but it's fine, because I'm apparently very good at starting up again. I, didn't, I never realized how much I could talk until I had to talk. Um, so for today, uh, as I said before, I... Um, have been searching through my own personal library for art critique and maybe art inspirational books and 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 last week we did design uh, last week we did our architect i thought it fit well because his particular work was about spatial relations and enjoying materials and as we are in our home and we have a lot of material things around us uh, we don't think of them as material possessions because somehow uh, once they are in our home they become um a facsimile or a a uh, a truth that we attach ourselves to the, the you know the plants the plant holders the the desk like all these things become part of us so we never we no longer think of them as material things because we've lived with them um, for a duration of time that we become attached to them and that's okay so I thought that it was good to um, to talk about um, last week. And this week, we're going to go with a more traditional book uh, about art history, um, and it's called How to Write Art History. So it's just, um, I think it's a supplement to art historians in their first year. 
of education. Okay, um, get my keys up. Okay, model. Oh, I hit the mic. Sorry, guys. Uh, you're going to switch. And then this is the second to last pose uh, of the first ones. And then we're going to take a break. Um, so this uh, book that I have in front of me is an educational book. It is a supplement to uh, someone writing uh, art history at university uh, at, uh, academically and kind of a art history 101, not necessarily about the studying the artwork, but the terminology, the ways in which you look at art and um, the basic academic like um, 101. I don't know if that expression translates to Danish, but 101 is the first class you take in anything. So if you're just learning English, you would take English 101. If you're just turning, taking literature, you would take literature 101 and so on. I don't know if I never know what translates directly to Danish. But anyway, so this is uh, this is that guide. Um, I actually have never read it. I've uh, I've had it in my library for for a while now. I think um, I actually know how I got it. Um, before I took my master's education, the um, the school or the university or the institute recommended had a long list of books they recommended. I slowly bought all of them, and uh, so my master's degree was in art business, not in art. Um, I had done enough art at that point. I felt like I needed more um, structural um, overseeing or more macro understanding of the art world and the art market and how art is. Um, so for that same reason, uh, when I got these books, I didn't feel like I needed to start here because I'd already taken a lot of art history and I'd already studied a lot of art. Not to say that I'm an expert in any of it, but I was more interested in learning about uh, the art market. And I know that's a vulgar, disgusting term. Okay, so there's the keys. This is going to be the last pose. Uh, I think I shorted you six seconds, um, but okay. So um, so that's what this book is. Um, I think it's a good place to start, and if, and if I did this class more structured, I probably would take some of the pillars that they, they mention a lot in the book and make a class for each, but then once you start doing that, it becomes... There's more time to produce an episode, and rather than doing that, I think it's easier and more light to just do it in this free-form way. I mean, I dream that like somebody that has always thought about coming to a life drawing course, I make it sound simple enough or give enough real-world references that they will at least try it, and they'll understand what it is without going to a class. So the thing about when you start talking about things uh, in in high high English or in an academic ways you lo you lose a lot of people and uh, not only is that not the purpose uh, or function of Epsilon Radio uh, it's not my function um, as an art lover or art enthusiast uh, it's never been and it, it, I've never been into that um, so I, so that's why I didn't like go deeper into each thing or shape or function and line because We'll get there. It'll come up here and there, but I would like this to be more for the layman because that's who attends the class. And I think you can appreciate art on many levels, and there's nothing to say that you always have to be highbrow about it. Um, with that being said, we're coming to the first break.
and that is three, two, one. Okay. Um, so we've done now five poses, uh, two minutes each. Uh, you also should have realized how short two minutes is. Hopefully it gave you some context of where you are on the page, where the, the model should be on the page, which things in the room interest you, um, how is your light shining, uh, more or less, the hues of the room, the, the hues by hues, I mean the different colors, the saturation of those colors, the intensity of those colors. If you're drawing in color, some of you may just be using pencil, that's fine. But even if you're just using pencil, there's still a, um, there's still somehow a, a saturation, if that makes sense. If you think about contrast, um, you're still dealing with zero and a hundred. You're, you're dealing with uh, zero contrast, which would just be a blank page. And you're dealing with a hundred contrast, which would, I guess, be uh, complete darkness. But that is the, uh, that's what you're dealing with. And you're trying to navigate that with a pencil, which is, it, it is a challenge. And um, good for you for trying. Um, it, it breaks the best of us. Um, the human form is very, very hard to draw. It's very, very hard to illustrate. It's very hard to interpret, which is probably, which is the appeal of doing it because it's something that we're all familiar with. Um, if you identify as a human, uh, we all have it. We deal with it every day. We see ourselves in the mirror. We see our partners. We see our friends and and we and we we somehow don't see them. Um, we we don't see them. Uh, so life drawing is a way of getting them to freeze and getting to see them and studying shape and form uh, and aesthetics. I'm so also guys. Um, I mentioned it last week, but it again. I can mention again, we are working on um, having more guests on the show um, to come and teach the last portion of the show and introduce you to some contemporaries that are doing this all the time, um, some of which are selling paintings, some of which are selling drawings, some of which are actually running uh, uh, other life drawing classes, obviously in a parallel universe, because in this universe, the only one that exists is Epsilon Radio. Um, no, but all jokes aside, so um, I've been in contact with some people. Nothing's firm yet. Uh, I'm working di diligently on it. Um, so look out for that. And I think that they will give some some input that I probably have missed. I mean, I am talking for an hour um, and I and yeah. So they're coming. I'm, I promise you they're coming. We'll put something up on Instagram so you know when they're coming. Um, and nonetheless, just keep, keep listening. Um, so you should be, uh, this is your break model. Hopefully your, your, um, your drawer, your illustrator is keeping you warm. Uh, hopefully they've got you a rope. They've gotten you some tea. They've gotten you some slippers, some socks, um, whatever it is at this point. Um, we've got about a little over a minute to go, um, before we get into these, uh, short, shortly longer poses
Can can you say that? Shortly longer poses. Anyway, into these poses that are a bit longer than the previous in one minute. I'm just going to take a sip of of drink. Get ready. I think um last last week I um I read as you guys know, but I took a I didn't think it would take me that long to read uh, such short passages that I had um, penciled out or highlighted out, um, and it did. So I'm going to start a bit earlier and then hope that I don't run out of things um, to key in on uh, during the last uh, 20 minutes. But also, I shouldn't be talking that much the last 20 minutes. All right, so uh, my keys are up, two, one, and model. This is a five-minute pose, so you can start that now. Um, so if you did this extreme one before, uh, do this one a bit less extreme. So whatever the, your extreme is, if you were on 10, the first, if you did a 10, um, the ten, a 9 or a 10, I guess, scale of difficulty, the first time, uh, five minutes, you don't want to do a 9 or a 10. You probably want to do a 6, 7, 8, 8 is, a, I don't know about 8, I mean, you got to be a pro for 8, but. But you get the gist. Um, the most important thing is that you stay still. Do not move. Okay. You're you're somebody's looking at you. They're drawing you, and uh, just don't move. Okay. Um, okay. So, um, how to write art history, second edition. Uh, by Anna De, let's see how you how would you say this? By Anna De Lavelle. I've just butchered this person's name. Um, Anna De Oliva. Let's just say it like that. Anna De Oliva. Um, how to write art history? She's obviously a historian or somebody that studied. Um, art history, um, reading the back here, she studied uh, art history and women's studies at the University of Connecticut. She's written uh, Arts, of the uh, Arts of the Pacific Islands and Methods of Theories of Art History. So this is just a general guide she wrote for her, maybe students, I'm sure she charged them to buy her, I'm sure her, her book was included in their curriculum. Um, Fun thing to do, I always thought about that as if I was a professor, would I actually make my students read my book? Um, I don't know. Seems a bit wrong. I guess it depends on how much the book cost, right? Um, but you got to do what you got to do. Professors don't make that much money, and the ones of art history probably make almost none. So I guess I should just keep my opinion to myself until I live their life or walk in their shoes. All right, let's see if I can uh, find something here. We also thought about, we, or mainly me, um, we thought about maybe doing an art history um, series. Um, and I'm also leaning towards taking Wednesday night as the art night 
um, going forward. So the way I imagine it, whether or not it happens, we don't know. Uh, depends. But um, so you would have some croquis. You may or may not have a bit of art history. Um, I've talked to some friends uh, who curate video and sound art and also some that make sound art um, and audio art. And uh, I've talked to a couple friends that are also DJs who are going to explore more ambient, um, maybe I think it's described as astroplane um, music or I guess you wouldn't really call it music, but soundscaping um, in order to um, help you sleep at night. I'm sure my voice is also helping you sleep right now, um, but that's fine. Whatever. I guess all things are good. All right. Um, doo -doo -doo. I mean, the reason I'm going back and forth because there's something that I didn't um, highlight necessarily um, in this book, and I don't know if it's relevant, but I'm kind of deciding whether or not I want to read it. Um, it's on page 16, um, and it in the in the headline is why is art history important? Okay, um, we're gonna switch model in in here in uh, 10 seconds. I guess I might as well read it. I mean, I'm on the page, I've just described what it is, um, but that was my pause, uh, whether or not I should read it or if I should skip ahead. Uh, I'm still, even though I've done it um, a couple times now, I'm still nervous about running out of things to say. All right, model. Those are my keys. So model, you can switch positions. All right, why, let's, let's just go for it. Uh, why is art history important? Uh, why is art history important? This is one of those questions that you need, that you tend to ask yourself as you're working late into the night to prepare for an exam or write an essay. Why, you may ask, am I torturing myself with this course? Right. Alex is uh, coming in to join our class. You want to say hello to the listeners? Hello. Yeah. I don't know if, Alexander, have you ever done a croquis class? Uh, I've been a uh, guest at several. Did you... You model? No, you no. drew. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I'm just reading them from this. I'm reading to them from the from this book. Um, okay. So, um, I don't know. Uh, guys, I'm not going to read that. That's a lame um, general question. It, it's more, I, I don't like the way it's answered. I didn't highlight it. I thought I could just... Uh, lay it up there, but I, I don't really like it. I'm skipping that. I mean, you can get the book and then read that part on your own. Because um, it, it's not necessarily relevant to what you're doing right now, and it's not that deep of an answer. Maybe it's a bit better here. Let's see. Okay. So now I see. All right, answer, uh, so I skipped ahead a bit. All right. Answering the same question, why is art history important in the same words of uh, Anna de Alaiva? Uh, I think there's another good reason to study art history. Although people don't talk about it much and that it is pleasure, the joy of it. Taking a course is hard work and there's always the grind of exams and essay deadlines. 
but I hope that at some point in your study of art history, you'll experience the sheer joy of being totally absorbed in a work of art or feeling that you get in what Michelangelo or Colvitz or a Native American bead worker was trying to do, that you'll experience the excitement of art history, detective work, as you piece together an interpretation creating a narrative about a work or an artist or culture, that you'll feel awed by the great example of human creativity and that you'll be stirred to happiness to anger or anger or sorrow by it, or that you'll be touched by the sense of humanity conveyed in the in the trace turning the page of an artist's hand in a chisel mark on a stone surface or the stitches of a on a quilt. Now maybe I'm a hopeless romantic, but I believe in the value of such experiences both intellectually and emotionally. As a lecturer, I want my courses to change the way students see themselves and see the world. What's the point of studying art together if you leave my course with the same ideas, knowledge, and skills going out that you brought into it? I hope you will be open to the possibility of all that you engage all that your engagement with art history can offer. So that's just a sweet sentiment in the in her uh, forward to the book or introduction. I guess it's an academic book, so it's an introduction, not a forward. Um, yeah. The the funny thing is, um, so when we originally started this class, I I don't um I don't make anything anymore. Um, I don't really show it to anybody anymore. Um, there was a time when I did, uh, but art history is kind of like critique, right? And 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 as soon as you show it or share it with somebody, you always open yourself up to critique. Um, and uh, I would say you don't, now I'm going off, but you don't have to feel, it's not necessary to show it to, to anyone. You don't need anybody else's approval but yourself. You're, you're there in your home. You're drawing in your home. You're probably drawing somebody you know or you're drawing yourself. And if you feel, if that's suffices, if that is sufficient for you, then uh, so be it. Um, just leave it there and... Uh, in the mortal words of Tupac, only God could judge me, right? So only it's for you, you and the good Lord, as my aunt would say. Um, yeah, so we're coming up on the end of the five-minute post. And then uh, we've got two more after that and then a break. So sh she's written also in this book... Excuse me, let me get my keys. Okay, model. That one was for you to uh, go ahead and switch. The The nice thing about this book and the reason I picked it up um, for this class this week is because she goes over the elements um, of uh, the formal elements of, of artwork. And um, as generic as the pillars are, um, which are color, line, space, mass, scale, composite and composition, two-dimensional versus three-dimensional. Um, as generic as those terms are, when you're drawing, they're, they're good to uh, revisit um, because you're trying to see how you see. And uh, as much as you think you're objective, you're not. You're, uh, you're subjective. And and you're seeing your interpretation of the world. That's all you can really do. Of course, 
we uh, spend a whole life trying to be empathetic and sympathetic to other people's uh, livelihoods and, and, and emotions, uh, especially the ones we live with. But we can only see the way we see. Um, and and the, the, I guess the ones, the masses um, of art see the world in the way that we wish we saw somehow. Um, and that's why we have deemed them masters. And of course, there's some a lot of other reasoning behind that, but uh, just to make it sound poetic, I guess that's the main one. So uh, formal elements. So for you guys that are using color, uh, whether it's color pencil, painting, or uh, colored pens, um, she writes color. The first step to undertake in analyzing color is to identify the different hues, red, blue, green, etc., that an artist uses and see whether she is using a particular range of colors, primary colors, secondary colors. You would also look at the characteristics of each color used. If it appears to be a representation of the color in its most vivid form, as it is represented on the color chart, it is highly saturated if the hue can, can hardly be distinguished when it is of low saturation, value is a term that describes the relative lightness of a color, whether it tends more towards white or more towards black. How would you describe the colors used by Chinese artist Zhang Haiying in his painting Anti-Vice Campaign Series 001 in terms of primary and secondary colors, saturation and value? Oh, so um, you guys can't see the the, this I don't know this artist either, um, but I think lucky for me, there's a picture. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's actually a photograph. Um, the uh, satur that she's using for a reference of saturation. Um, hmm. Oh wait, no. Oh wow, guys, it's actually all okay, right. It's actually not a photograph. It's a super hyper-realistic um, painting of a woman uh, being carried away by three men of authority. I don't know if they're police, uh, but that's how they appear. Um, I think if it was the proper size, which apparently would be uh, 300 by 400 centimeters, uh, so or three... Uh, three meters by four meters, um, it would look more like a painting. I think because it's shrunken down, it looks uh, it looks hyper-realistic. Um, also, I have bad eyesight, which is another reason I don't draw so much. Um, so in the picture, um, talking about color value, the easiest color value to always recognize is red, right? Red is what you use in advertising. Red is the color of a Coke can, and that's uh, primarily why they use red is because it's as saturated as you can get. Of course, you can get black, but black kind of fades fades out, but there's something about reds that uh, bring bring things forward. Uh, red cars, as I said, Coke can. Um, so in this uh, painting she's referring to, uh, there's a woman in a red dress, dead center, surrounded by uh, some men in a gray and black uniform, and I can tell their authority because they have a patch on their shoulders also in bright red. So I guess it's supposed to be um, 
I guess, think of the, the typical red you would see in the Chinese uh, flag. Okay. Okay, so model, uh, that's your signal to switch, to switch again. Um, we covered hue in a, in a previous class, I believe, but we may have talked about it more in um, saturation. And, uh, but uh, hue is, is synonymous. What would differentiate hue from saturation? Not much. Um, well, hue is the actual color, I guess. Um, yeah, hue is a is a bit more fancy word for the color itself. So, it's also important to know what your primary colors are um, when when drawing, obviously, um, and. I mean, you guys know this from looking at a color wheel, that the outside or the inside, depending on which way you look, is going to be the most saturation. As you click further away, uh, you're going to get closer to um, lighter colors. So think about that. Also, we talked um, before about um, how to make things move, and we talked about shadow, and, uh, and that is, again, related to saturation. So if you use, let's say you wanted to create a sepia-toned or red-toned painting, you would use the same application as you would um, anywhere else, and you would fade from the red hues and, and that gleamed off of someone's face to maybe the, the lighter ones, and the red would slowly become more pink or more pale or more warm or more cold, and we, we talked about that as well. I'm just gonna continue with this book. I'm also, we didn't really finish the last book, but I think we, we got through enough to get the gist. Maybe we'll revisit it later. Um, so the next uh, formal element that you should be conscious of is the line. And, and this is uh, what she says about the line. Although the concept of line may seem to belong most obviously to painting and graphic arts, it's also a useful term in thinking about three-dimensional media such as sculpture and architecture. In discussing two-dimensional two media, art historians often talk about l linearity versus painterli painterliness, excuse me distinguishing between works that emphasize line and linear contours as compared with those that emphasize the play of light and dark, or uh, chiaroscuro, an Italian term meaning bright and dark. You might ask whether the line is strong and continuous or broken up into many small hatches or pieces. For a building or a sculpture, ask whether there is a strong sense of silhouette, the outline of the exterior contours, whether the outline is broken up or blurred. Compare, for example, the sense of line in the sculptures of male and female couples shown in figure 4, 1, and 5, 2. So that's, I didn't really realize this uh, picture had uh, drawings. Um, that's not so relevant to us because it's, a, um, it's an abstract sculpture that she's referring to. I looked it up before. Um, but yeah, I think it's important that 
while you're drawing the line, you you probably most of you are probably using pencil, if anything at all. And uh, does that line break? Uh, we have a habit, and we're taught to draw the whole outside of an object and the edges of it because that's how we interpret things by their edges. We interpret everything we touch by the by its edges. Everything we move, everything we use by the edges of it. Um, everything must have an edge. Um, but in order to um, see uh, or to translate what we're seeing onto the page, uh, we're coming up on the next break, by the way. It's important to figure out where that line breaks. And I can tell you without seeing it, if you are sitting in the room, uh, it's probably breaking, if nowhere else, was well, doing two things. On, on the side where the light is, if you have a strong light source on the side where the light source is hitting the model, it's probably becoming thinner and harder. And on the opposite side of that, if you, if you don't have a backlight or you only use one light source, which is probably the easiest thing to do. Oh, sorry. So we're going to take a five minute break here. So um, if you're the model, put on the robe, uh, drink some tea, stretch out and take uh, take account of if if uh, a certain part of your body went to sleep or not um, the next pose is the longest and the last so it's either for some of you it will be two 10 minute poses and for those who need a bit longer um, it's going to be one 20 minute pose so what was I saying? So the, the line. So when you draw with line and line only, uh, this, I guess, goes more for pen drawings, the the shadows on the back side are not going to be solid lines. Um, and a lot of times, especially in engravings and um, line or art, no, not line or art, but in, in engravings and um, what am I thinking of? Uh, metal plates. Um, you're going to see a lot of cross-hatching. In comic books as well, you see a lot of cross-hatching or uh, pixelation. So you you can pixelate. So pixelate is uh, when you use uh, dots to to outline because there is no solid line. Or in cross-hatch is what you guys already know. It's kind of when you maybe you can do architects do it at a at a proper angle. So they probably do it at 45 degrees or 35 degrees and and these lines uh, indicate the edge of something, and as they come closer together, uh, they create more shadow. As they move further apart, they allow an object to move. So while you guys are drawing, no matter if you're using pencil, pen, or um, paint, think about that. The line, where does the line go on the page? Because it's not, as we've discussed before in this class, it's not gonna be just an outline, because if you, if it's just an outline, the object's going to be flat, um, which is fine. But I mean, to draw a flat object, you don't necessarily need a, a nude model in front of you. Um, you. You probably could draw the flat person without the model, if that wasn't clear. Um, let's just keep going. OK, so the next. The next thing that she wants her art historian, art history students to take into account in their formal elements of, of artwork is space and mass.
Okay. Uh, model, you have two more minutes of break. So space and mass. The term space indicates whether an image conveys a sense of three-dimensional space. The term mass describes the space created by an artwork, indicating whether the artwork conveys a sense of sub substantial form, as if it had weight or volume. These are these are actual characteristics of sculpture, architecture, and, and installations. But illusory characteristics of two-dimensional media, such as painting, drawing, printmaking, photography, the use of linear perspective or atmospheric perspective, for example, can establish a sense of spatial re recession in a painting. Okay, that one was a bit abstract in the words, but. I mean, space, spatial awareness, right? Everything is a some d distance from another. And not only by its actual distance, right? I mean, you're usually not sa standing on the same plane, right? We talked about it uh, previously. Your model is not on the same plane as the bed. They might be a step back or they might be a step forward. Uh, your model is not on the same plane as the baseboard of the room. Um, your model is not on the same um, plain as the light above the room. Um, so as they move forward and back, um, how how does that change? And that introduces uh, foreshortening, which I know we haven't talked about um, so much. But um, when the when we start this next pose, I'll quickly um, talk a bit about foreshortening. Okay, so 10 seconds model. Um, these are going to be your longest poses, and if the last ones you were at a six, I think these should be a four or five. Um, so if you need to sit down, um, do it, but make the sitting posture interesting. So maybe lean to one side or the other, um, but keep centered. So keep your weight in a way that you keep your weight off of your arms and your legs and your toes so that they don't fall asleep. Because if they fall asleep, at some point you're going to have to move them. Um, and, and that's not going to be good for you or the person drawing you. Um, so try to keep, try to imitate um, a, a shift in weight with a, with, without actually doing it. So um, try to look like you have a lot of weight on on one side without doing it, I, if it's possible. If it's not possible, then uh, maybe switch positions. Maybe uh, you draw and the other person models. Okay. Um, so foreshortening. Foreshortening is pretty basic, right? It's the idea that the things that are closer to you are bigger and the things that are further away are smaller. A concept that we take uh, for granted, but it didn't already always exist, especially in art. So it's something that was first kind of legitimized in the Renaissance, in the earlier uh, Renaissance, just the idea that uh, something was not always the literal size that it is in real life. Um, so what are these um, ratios and to create perspective and to make it look more realistic or more lifelike. Um, 
Okay. She also mentioned in there mass and mass is weight. So how do you how do you draw weight? How do you draw weight? Which is an hard one. How do you draw that something is heavy? Going back to maybe even the last pose that I suggested, making yourself look like you're in an exotic pose or a hard pose without actually being there. I guess that's equivalent to trying to draw weight. Um, the If you look at pre-Renaissance art, most of it is going to be weightless. If you think about um, ancient Egypt, if you think about medieval art, if you think about um, Byzantine art, if you think about... Um, what are some good examples? Maybe some some old tapestries um, that uh, tell a story. Those don't really have the the figures in those uh, tapestries don't usually have any weight to them, right? Um, so how do you draw weight? I mean, again, it's shadow and light. I mean, that's what you're drawing. The same as a as a camera is just. Uh, capturing light, you, even though you're using a different medium, are literally just capturing light. And I don't mean weight in the like uh, heaviness or the expression or the emotion, uh, which is also something that artists um, are good at. And there's there's one uh, picture here uh, of a uh, Degoya, and I mean, there's so much weight in a Degoya um, uh, etching. Um, because there's a lot of dark colors, there's bats, the, there's this like eerie darkness that just gets darker. But I don't necessarily mean that kind of weight. I mean like actual weight, like how much does something weigh? Where's the tension? Um, that That's more what I was thinking about. Okay, um, as we move on, still, um, talking about formal elements of, of um, art critique, you have scale. Um, scale. As part of a formal analysis, you'll want to consider scale or relative size, both within the work and in relation to the viewer. Determine if there's a consistent scale used within the work or whether different scales are used to emphasize or de-emphasize certain elements in the image. Figures of gods, for example, are sometimes represented larger than other figures to indicate their divinity. Consider whether the image is monumental, life-size, miniature, in relation to the viewer. Um, the example given there is, uh, again, ancient Egyptian um, art. They often depicted the pharaoh uh, bigger than his, his wife, um, and they depicted the god bigger than the slaves. I don't know. I don't know if they refer to them as slaves, but uh, so you will often see um, uh, figures walking towards a throne, and the person on the throne is usually bigger. Or you will see a pharaoh sitting on a throne, and for some reason, there's this tiny person next to him, and it could be a servant or it could be a wife. Um, so that was so they use scale to um, dictate importance. Again, representational. Uh, fun fact, not really what we're after here. Um, so what 
what you're asked to do is way harder. You're asked to um, make it appear real. Draw what you see. Okay, so moving right along, moving right along, um, also with the class and the book, the, uh, how many did she actually give us? One, two, three, four. This is the fifth uh, typical five pillars of formal elements of uh, interpreting art. Um, and obviously she's interpreting as an art historian artworks that are already made. What you're interpreting or using these same tools to interpret is the person uh, sitting across from you or in front of you um, or yourself reflected in a mirror. So the last one is uh, probably the longest. And uh, she raises some good questions, which um, if you get lost, if you trail off, are good to um, keep in the back of your mind while you're drawing. Uh, composition. The term composition is used to describe how an artist puts together all of the above elements in the work of art. In a formal, in a formal analysis, you will ask how these elements, line, color, space, mass, and scale, contribute to the work's overall composition and its visual effect. Initi initially, you'll be trying to answer some basic questions. I'm going to replace uh, where she says the artist with you guys. All right. So what do you emphasize visually? What first attracts your attention? How, does, how do you emphasize this feature, these features? Do you use scale? Do you use line? Do you use color? Remember we said the thing about making uh, some things red to bring them forward. Is there an underlying rhythm pattern or geometric structure to the composition? Um, something we didn't talk about um, in um, high renaissance, they used um, a triangle. Um, so they moved away from one-point perspective um, into true perspective, but also the figures in the, the painting. You usually could draw a triangle between kind of their faces. If you ever look at an old Madonna and child, the Madonna is usually looking at the baby Jesus who's then looking at I guess I guess supposed to be John the Baptist. I can't remember, and then looking back at Mary, and it's not usually a um, a, a um, equilateral triangle if I can get mathematic, but it, there is a, a natural pattern in which your eye uh, follows the painting in a circle, or not in this case, not a circle and a triangle, um, and they also for as as realistic as we think of those, um, or lifelike as we think of those old paintings, they did use some tricks, again, about saturation um, by making uh, some of the paintings more pale. Um, it stood out from the background by making certain sash sashes red or, or white, um, whether they were or not made the eye 
follow the painting in a certain way. So if you guys are tired of just, if you've been drawing the same model this whole time, excuse me. So we got 10 minutes to go in the class. Um, yeah, you can you can switch and that'll be the last 10 minutes so you can continue um, in the same posture and uh, I'm going to finish this uh, composition uh, piece and then uh, and then I'm going to let you go but what I was getting at is is there are ways to use the hue and the saturation of paintings to trick the eye into following the painting in a certain way or trick the eye into looking at this triangle and once you see it you'll notice it and then you'll also notice it in uh, sculptures. Um, you'll also notice it in traditional sculptures and it usually is the, uh, there's a triangle um, from the knee to the hip to the elbow or from the knee to the hip to the chin. Um, and there's um, this uh, Italian word for it and it, and it just essentially means uh, when your weight is on one side. The thing I tell you guys not to do uh, as the model when you're doing a, a pose, and I call it a mirror pose, um, that's that's what uh, what it is, and, and you guys have all seen it. Um, also, if you think about, even if you think about sculptures, you know, there's um, some sculptures of, I guess, Zeus or fighting Medusa, and, and even though there's a bunch of snakes and her head is coming off or, um, it's very violent. If you notice, even in those, even though it was late Renaissance or high Renaissance, um, this triangle still exists. You can draw a line from his his uh, eyesight um, or his head to this um, this monster usually, and then to his knee, um, and some version of that. So it's always some version of that. And this was a trick to make things look realistic or make them look more lifelike. So um, keep the, keep that in account uh, when you're drawing. Not that you need to be Da Vinci or Raphael or Donatello or Cavaggio, just so I don't name all the Ninja Turtles. Um, so as we, anyway, as we finish up the class, I also, I guess it bears mentioning, because we talked about this uh, triangle, there's also at the same time the uh, Northern Renaissance was going on and the Fle or the Flemish Rem Renaissance, which had a different um, focus, um, whereas uh, the artists that I just mentioned were into creating drama with these triangles and perspective by blurring the backgrounds and making things smaller and bigger as they came closer and using curves and science. The Northern Renaissance, they focus more on the details in something. So maybe, um, you know, we're coming to the end of this class but maybe in the next class you can start there. So it, it's a bit harder to do in the, the short amount of time we have for this class, but it's worth at least experimenting with 
and they would everything was in focus in um, in their paintings. So no matter how far a building was in the background, um, the the grass in the front of the lawn or the front of the castle was very detailed and the flower through the window behind the people, um, the the uh, horse outside was very detailed. Um, so in the in southern uh, in, in Italy, you would have uh, blurred those things as to mimic your vision. Uh, in uh, Flemish during the Flemish re Renaissance, you would have almost uh, you would have done the opposite. You would have magnified those things. Um, so two different ideas um, based in uh, human theory and and uh, progression still relevant today, still something we are taught in art history. Um, so that's, for the most part, going to do it for this week. Um, we've got a couple minutes to go. Um, before we go, I guess I should remind, um, we will have uh, other guests on the program, so stay tuned for that. Um, the book um, I read from today was uh, How to Write Art History. I, I don't know why I'm struggling with her last name so much, uh, but it's uh, Anna Del Leva. Dialeva, Anna Dialeva, um, How to Write Art History. So, um, I mean, I can't really recommend it. It's just, uh, it was for me a quick thing that I already had in my uh, arsenal, so it was easy to bring out. There's, uh, there's better, more in-depth things um, about art history. Um, definitely, this is just about how... I guess maybe what she wants in her essays as a professor, not to put words in her mouth when she's teaching this class. And I would think that you could probably write a good essay for a test if you follow those five pillars um, that we did today. You would cover your basics if you looked at a painting and you went through them in detail um, one at a time and, and talked about the composition, the line, the shading, the weight and so on, you can um, probably quite easily um, get a passing grade on, on an art history um, paper. And typically, um, I mean, art history is taught quite linearly, and we are, most of us who study academics, um, as she mentions in the book, are taking it, especially in America, just for a credit or two to um, as an elective. Um, for the rest of us, we're learning it quite linear. Um, there are other theories of art, other outlooks on art, and other, um, I guess, timelines on art, which I personally wish I knew more about. Um, mine also is just based on... Um, the Western world and the so-called developed world. Um, but that's that's how I learned about history. That's how I learned about, um, you know, uh, how art evolved. So um, 
Yeah, if you guys want to explore other avenues, feel free to do that as well, along with practicing drawing and and the like. Um, I want to thank you guys again. As always, I want to thank the model uh, for being patient. I know I'm hard on the model, um, but it's not my intention. Um, so yeah, enjoy the rest of your evenings. If you're listening to the re-recording of this on Friday, enjoy the weekend. And I hope that it uh, gave you something else to do um, besides what you normally do that you do to just pass time. So maybe it was just a different way to pass time for a little over an hour with me. Um, there's going to be a bit of uh, silence, radio silence for a while. And then uh, the show will be over. And music will start up again. And, uh, yeah, just to fill it in a bit, this is Epson Radio. Please tell your friends. Please share this class with them. Please share any of our programming with them. And, again, thanks for joining. I'm Brandon Shell, your host, and I'll sign off with a goodbye for now. <laughs>